Hi, everyone, and uh, welcome to this week's episode of Supply Chain Talk. Uh, my name is Duncan Brock, director here at the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, or SIPS. I'm delighted yet again to have the opportunity of hosting uh, this great discussion on supply chain talk and supply chain issues that we're all facing. Um, it was, we missed a week. Uh, two weeks ago, I think we covered a discussion about humanitarian supply chains, which is very interesting talking about the issues associated with uh, responding to refugee crises and general sort of crises around the world. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to do a very different, uh, focusing much more on uh, concurrency, concurrent planning, and the way that we need to sort of approach that and do that in, 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 a, in a different way going forward based on the whole issues associated with supply chains and the way that they work generally. So going to be really interesting to spend a bit of time looking at that talking to some of our guests about it and understanding the sort of approaches now that people need to be taking differently in supply chains. So um, we've got three great guests. Uh, they're really going to come and uh, join us and uh, add some of their perspectives and their thoughts. Um, and also, you know, hopefully, as I'm already seeing, uh, we've got lots of you joining us. Uh, so lots of people who can join and add to the discussions through their comments on chat or through the use of the Q&A. So I know on the chat already we've seen um, Alice, uh, Ashley, welcome back. Good to see you and Mark and Eshwar, um, three of our regulars. Wonderful to see all three of you back and joining us. Um, so please do continue to use the chat and add your comments and your thoughts. Uh, as I said, we have a Q&A as well. So those of you who are live, if you have any specific questions you want me to raise with the panelists and the guests that I've got, please use the Q&A and uh, we'll make sure that uh, we raise those questions with them as this discussion goes on through today. Uh, we do have this wonderful Supply Chain Talk mug, which uh, we do uh, hand out to the one person who's maybe added the best comment or chat um, in there, or ask one of those questions to really to spark a really good discussion amongst the guests that we've got today. So please do join in. Uh, it'd be great to get you so participating as we go forward through today's discussion. Um, so let's let's kick this off. Um, we're going to uh, have a news story that we're going to focus on first, which is much more of a macro supply chain issue associated with inflation. So we'll get to that in a minute uh, before we then drop into more specifics around concurrent planning and supply chains. Uh, but to help us with that first discussion, uh, I'd like to welcome up uh, Alistair Chariton. He's a supply chain expert, um, independent consultant, uh, linked into the Cranfield University School of Management. So, Alistair, welcome back to you. Uh, you've been with us before as well in Supply Chain Talk. So, um, it's great I have. You, it's great that you join us again for another discussion. So, thank you for coming back and joining us. Um, for those who don't know you, uh, weren't around last time now when you joined us, maybe a quick introduction to yourself. Sure. First things, I'm not sure if you can see me. My camera's on on my computer, but um, as I can see the little green light on. But as usual, technology is a strange thing and I can't see it on my own screen. But anyway, I'll, I'll let our supply chain elf sort that out. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, it's nice to be back on, on the talks again. And um, I've had a long career in supply chain as a supply chain director in retail, in B2B, in building materials and DIY distribution. Um, and more recently, though, have worked independently um, solving problems at companies uh, in their supply chains, whether it's their warehouses, planning, forecasting, um, really across the, the sort of the whole gamut. And I also, uh, as you mentioned, teach at um, Cranfield School of Management. So that's me. That's great, Alistair. Thank you. And uh, I think, actually, just to, to your comment on the chat, that, yeah, there is there is a little bit of um, 
of echo with with alistair we had this yesterday where we had a practice where we joined about 10 minutes ago everything was absolutely fine so we're just getting a little bit of delay we can't see you alistair but uh, okay. obviously there's something wrong with the connection somewhere but let's let's crack on let's see how it goes and uh, it might settle down so um let's let's let's, let's look at this uh, news article that we wanted to focus on and this was linked to uh, i think it was it was across a lot of the press particularly in the uk uh, about a week ago which was around uh, the cost of living crisis, but it was specifically related to uh, budget food prices and the fact that there was a um, significant increase in some of those budget foods. Um, but I thought it was interesting, you know, when I, when I read through this article again and I was looking at the stats around it, you know, I think there's the big headline was, oh, 50% rise in pasta prices, which is significant. But actually, what I think it also said is the budget food prices generally were rising in line with other food prices at the six or seven percent. Um, so, but there was a big variation with you know pasta um, up at fifty percent, bread and minced beef at sixteen percent, rice fifteen percent rise. I mean, significant uh, increases in some of the staple goods that's around. Um, there was some that were dropped, but not many. And potatoes, cheese are dropped in price, but generally high levels of inflation going on across the piece in terms of the the level of inflation coming through um and i think what it what it did and maybe sort of alistair you know to, to bring you in here it was quite interesting to sort of see that yes there is inflation um there's inflation everywhere that we're all facing at the moment but it's not standard is it it, it shows that there is huge variations based on where the goods come from based on demand based on a whole load of factors at the moment and it's quite a a difficult situation that everyone's facing at the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think to me, what what was interesting is, 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 I mean, I think what surprised me partly in the article was actually that budget food prices did not suffer worse inflation than non-budget food. And and the reason that's surprising is if you take something like I was in my local Lidl recently just to sort of check out a few things, and you know, pasta five hundred grams for and it cost twenty pence. And all of our supply chain professionals know that, you know, to transport something like that, it's not light, you know, it's quite a dense thing. So, you know, how many thousand packs can you get on a, on a, on a pallet? Maybe 2,000 packs gets you up to a tonne of weight. You know, to move a pallet costs 20 quid. So suddenly just to move a pallet, not even a cage with the pasta in it, it's like two pence per, you know, packet of pasta. Checking it out. I mean, it, it takes two seconds maybe for the checkout process. There goes another penny of of labour at typical you know costed supermarket rates. So you realise that that there's just no room to manoeuvre when you have an item like that. So it's not surprising that when you have you know flour prices going up, well, there's no branding, there's no marketing in a little own brand pasta. It's just pasta, so it's flour dried, it's packaged, and it's shipped around. So to me, it just really raises some interesting points about kind of when you're getting to these value foods. Actually, you know, how do you keep the prices competitive when all your supply chain costs start to go up? Because they're going to be affected an awful lot more than a, a fancy packet of pasta costing two pounds for five hundred grams, which of course where that where those movement costs, transport costs mean nothing really. And, and what you just highlighted there, though, Alistair, is, is is the factors that sit behind this, isn't it? Because I think what's what's hitting us all now is the fact that you know we've never seen freight and fuel costs going up in the, the space they have and that's feeding through the supply chain we've got grain shortages that are starting to drive a level of inflation in all sorts of parts of foodstuffs that we haven't seen before and as you said there 
maybe what we're seeing is that people can't continue to survive on those tiny margins because those margins have disappeared. Um, yeah. And have to somehow pass this this increase through, and it's not just food, is it? It's across it's across all areas. Absolutely. I think what was interesting about the article, and it's sort of, I suppose it comes back to sort of, you know, the, the responsibility of supply chains and retailers. And I think Jack Monroe, who was mentioned in the article, um, something else, or campaigner, I think, you know, raising the issue that, that, that for people on low incomes, these, these price rises can hit disproportionately. In, the, in this case, the ONS data seemed to show that it didn't hit disproportionately. But at the same time, Jack Munro was claiming that some of the supermarkets have just withdrawn their lowest value products anyway. So, so I guess it does sort of raise that whole question about, you know, to what extent do supermarkets, are they allowed to and do they choose to subsidise their real value offerings? You know, there's, there's obviously a lot of regulatory law about predatory pricing and so on. But, um, you know, actually, you know, should they choose to make really zero profit on some lines so that customers do have the choice? to buy very cheaply if they if they choose to it may be a very good competitive um approach as well so it certainly i think raises some really interesting issues for retailers and their supply chains about you know what is their responsibility as well as being uh, efficient and, and cost effective and sustainable and i suppose linked to that it also then leads to this whole discussion around the supply chain itself and where where do the supermarkets source from how much can they source locally the the, the i suppose I, I know you know when when the pandemic first hit and they were getting shortages, they slimmed down the ranges, didn't they, to try and sort of make those supply chains mm. more efficient, more effective, to try and sort of make them run more smoothly, if you like, all the way through. And maybe this is just another indicator of that, 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 that you know, supermarkets and everyone, we're, we're trying to simplify these supply chains now and shorten them where we can. Yeah. And a, a nice example of that, actually, is that, again, in, in the little I've been to, that they have, I don't know if all of them do that, but they have just really almost at the end of the store, kind of basically imperfect produce. But it's just like, basically, it's a mixed box, a big cardboard box with mixed fruit and veg and so on, slightly blemished, you know, wrong shapes, that sort of stuff, but incredibly cheap. I mean, you know, two pounds for a massive box of fruit and veg. So again, it's a great it's a great example, I think, where where you where you're offering a very low cost solution for you know families that, that choose that and say, well, I'm not too worried about having a slightly blemished item because it's 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 sure as hell very affordable. But of course, at the same time, instead of that produce just being thrown away, uh, which is incredibly wasteful, actually it's being used. And I guess it's it's all back to that yeah that yeah we've been so trained over the years to have this huge choice everything perfect, everything the perfect shape as well. And actually, should we be really reverting much more to saying offer offer that mix of product and, and you know, there is second grade product. And if you want to have a bashed up potato, fine, you know, <laughs> cut off the black bits and you've, you've got your potatoes incredibly cheap, you know, or if you want them all perfect and washed in a packet, sure, go to M&S or, or Waitrose. But um, I, I think it's, an, again, interesting examples of, of the way that, supermarkets and retailers and supply chains do have a choice in, in what their product um, format is as well as um, how it's handled in the supply chain. Yeah, I think it's really, just, I was just smiling when you were talking about imperfect products because actually, you know, if you grow your own and anyone who's grown their own vegetables know that they're never perfect. They taste wonderful, but um, you sort of get used to things not looking like they do in the supermarkets, but actually having wonderful flavours to them. So it's quite interesting. Again, your mindset changes when you start to sort of really see how things do come out the ground or off the trees rather than actually how they are perfectly packaged in the way that we see them. So but it's, it's an interesting comment. But but again, it's that sort of, I think your, your, your comment there about waste is an important one, isn't it? That actually, you know, 
part of the cost is associated with the amount of waste that goes on. And if more of these, the, the overall goods are used and bought, mm. and, and therefore there's, you know, it, it's, it's going to make that whole supply chain a more efficient, but maybe manages the demand more effectively as well. Yeah, it, it does indeed. But, but I mean, I guess an, another side of supply chains, I mean, we're sort of <laughs> roaming around a bit, but I guess that's the point of these these, these conversations, that, that they can be fairly free-ranging. You know, there, there doesn't seem to have been any solution to the problem that was raised a few weeks or months or two ago of where are the seasonal workers going to come for picking fruit in the UK? Uh, it, it's extraordinary that it was bad. It was bad before Brexit. When Brexit happened, it was bad. Now with the Ukrainian conflict... Um, something like, I can't remember what it was, the statistics are extraordinary, but the, the single largest group um, for providing seasonal workers in, in fruit and veg picking are Ukrainians. So it's, you know, the, the, it's the waste of thousands of tonnes of wasted crops last year was way more than the previous year because of Brexit and other factors and COVID as well. But now this year, it, 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 it could be an absolute disaster with just absolutely huge quantities wasted in the fields one, you know, obviously unsustainable, and secondly, um, you know, ruinous for those farmers. So th there's a big issue, which I think with all the other news has has rather sort of, you know, dropped out of sight. But it's, uh, you know, there's talk about saying, oh, get robotic pickers. Well, yeah, give, give me five years to develop them, please, because you know, if they were that economic, we have them already. So um, th there's yeah. an interesting point there. Yeah, thank you. No, really good point, actually, Alistair. Thank you. Um, probably a good opportunity to bring in our other two guests as well um, to sort of bring in their perspectives, their, their thoughts on this. Um, so maybe we could sort of welcome uh, Claire Wichluski. Uh, she's the Senior Vice President at Kinexis. I stumbled on that. Sorry about that, Claire. So welcome to you. And also uh, Derek Westfall, Senior Supply Chain Analyst at the Boeing Company. Uh, I'll say good morning to you, Derek, because uh, you're joining us from the States. So it's uh, great that you've actually managed to sort of join us as well. So, uh, but I'll ask both of you to do quick intros to you and then we'll come back to this story. So, Claire, maybe first uh, an intro to you, please. Yeah, sure. So, Claire Ruslevsky, I'm English, living in France and work for a company called Kinaxis. Um, Kinaxis is a Canadian software company that's been specialises in uh, has been specialising in supply chain planning solutions that enable concurrent planning for over 20 years and work with um, many of the large organisations and the small ones around the world in, in various, pretty much every, every in every industry you can think of. Nice to join you today. That's great. Thank you, Clara. And uh, Derek, a uh, quick introduction to yourself. Sure. My name is Derek Westfall and I'm located in Portland, Oregon, United States. And uh, I've got a 34-year supply chain career and done just about every single job there is in supply chain. And uh, currently also an adjunct professor at Portland State University. Great. Thank you, Derek. And welcome to both of you. So, I mean, you know, Alice and I were just talking there about this, I suppose, inflation, particularly food inflation in the UK, the, the story was about. But that's a general the themes coming through there about the inflationary pressures and the challenges there and, and how all organisations and people and consumers are trying to cope with it. And I'd be interested in, in both of your thoughts on this in terms of what you're seeing, but also, I suppose, the implications of that for um, for businesses and for supply chains and people trying to cope with this inflation that's coming through. And maybe, Claire, I'll bring you in first. I mean, uh, what's your take on this? I mean, it's, it's a level of inflation we, we, we haven't seen for a long time, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, I honestly think we're a bit of a turning point. You know, I think... I've only been in supply chain since 2014, so I'm kind of a bit late to the game. But even from talking to, 
to the customers that we work with, you can see that well, we can all see that the world's just become more and more and more unstable and the situations and supply chains are, are generally problem solving engines at the end of the day. But the problems that we're having to face are becoming bigger, more complex um, and more challenging. And we had COVID. We've now got inflation. We've had raw material shortages, of whether it's copper or um Copper or energy or oil or cereal or whatever is the next thing on the list. There's there's an endless endless supply of challenges that seem to be building up and creating a bit of a perfect storm, not just for supply chain, but as consumers in, in, in the prices for the things that we pay and the way that I guess we need to think about how we consume and what we consume. And I think you know your comments about supply chains will sort themselves out. I think what our our esteemed leader in the UK, Boris Johnson, I think at one point I seem to remember him using a similar quote of, oh, "We don't need to intervene on these sort of shortages of lorry drivers. The supply chain will sort itself out." And you go, "Really? You know, there's actually some <laughs> fundamental issues here that actually need a bit more of an intervention and support." Um, yes, eventually it will sort itself out, but there's some, there's some real some short-term disruptions here that. Yeah, we're all facing, aren't we? And uh, you know, and it's global. I mean, you know, you say you're living in France. You know, we're seeing this everywhere. And I mean, Derek in the US. I mean, you've got similar challenges and similar things you're facing as well, aren't you? Oh yeah, it's a, it's the same all over the place. But one thing, going back to one of Hustler's points, uh, with uh, the consolidation of of or the lack of raw materials, those types of things. You know, the people that make the pasta, they may brand it ten different ways. And you have the low end pasta, and you have the high end pasta, right? So. So to even make the margins they need to make, they need to make that brand that high-end pasta. It may be the same pasta, but I think uh, it's important to understand that those pasta makers, uh, there's only a limited number of those folks. And so that's why the reducing of the uh, product lines are uh, hitting the shelves or not hitting the shelves. Yeah. And, and, and so so what you're saying is, is, is that the production facilities are the same. Um, it's just yep. different sort of quality that's coming through. Yeah, well, they got to they got to be efficient, right? The changeover, the packaging, or the changeover, those things. They got to be as efficient as they can. Back to Alistair's point, that that that's instead of making ten different brands, they might only make one or two different brands. All right, All right, yeah. And, and you'll see that in the states as well, are you? Yeah, it's absolutely. Sorry, I've just got a cough on it. I'm just going to just sort of just mute myself. <laughs> so, but it's, so, it's, it's a reversal of what we've seen, isn't it? Because we've over the last few years. Up to COVID, probably there was a everyone was increasing the number of lines and the number of choices that um, we were able to to consume, and it's going to be difficult to persuade people to go back to what we had before, which was a, maybe a simpler way of requiring things and not quite as much choice. Yeah. I mean, I, I, having said that, I mean in the UK particularly, I mean the the discount retailers and discount supermarkets are absolutely storming and gaining market share and their whole model is you don't get your choice um, and they really economize on, the, on, on things so i think you know to be honest the situation now with inflation and energy taking such a huge cost down uh, part of people's um you know discretionary you know available money i mean it's it's incredibly tough situation and clearly across europe as well um, but because of that, I think, you know, I, I, I would predict that the, the discount supermarkets will be having an absolutely bonanza year this year because a lot of people are going to say, I've just got to save money somehow. And if I can't choose from 20 different pastas and I just choose from five different pastas, hey, that's going to do me. Thank you. And I'm going to save a lot of money. So I think it, you know, it may have a, a silver lining because if actually that makes you know, retailing and supply chains that little bit more efficient, um, you know, it's all good for waste and efficiency and so on. Mm. 
I think there's comments here from, from Eshwa. It says, as the entire globe is troubled with disruptions, these will be short-term trends. Our, our long-term corrections will be done and we will see stability in prices. Do you agree? <laughs> what's short-term, what's long-term? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, hopefully five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, the conflict will be history, you know, the energy disruption will be history and, you know, wind and nuclear will be having a new sort of you know, lease of life and, and, and costs will be going down. So, you know, on that timescale, absolutely. I think when people have got the, you know, have got the wealth, you know, and and, and generally the, the, the economy has got the wealth, sure, people love choice and have everything they want to and technology can allow small production batches and, you know, not not in food, but in other items, you know, make, make to order, you know, print to order, etc. So I think the world, longer term, yeah, I think there will be more choice, I, I agree, but... Um, but I think I think the current situation will be here for a year or two. And I think when people get used to the habit of kind of not having so much choice, but saving money on their shopping baskets, that's a, that's that's not necessarily a habit people will break immediately. Right. Yeah, and didn't, and didn't we say after COVID that we can now go back to normal? <laughs> How many times did we hear that? that? We can go back to normal now COVID's over and we can get back to kind of living as we did and something else happened. And I guess, you know, I, I saw a, a great image of us, and not what I want to be too pessimistic, but there was a, a great image shown by the CEO of Unilever in one of his presentations that was showing, you know, the wave of COVID, Brexit, and the wave of COVID was slightly bigger, and then a massive tsunami of climate change and all the other things. And we didn't even, we were, it's impossible to predict the Ukraine invasion and all mm. the other things that are coming with it. So I think this, the only thing I think is more certain is that things are less easy to predict than we than we ever thought they were. Wow. I, I, but and I think, you know, Derek, bringing you in there, I mean, I think this this sense of uh, none of us can predict where the future will be here. But when you're looking at, uh, I suppose, the business and, the, and all the businesses we're all involved in, it, it is a challenging time, though, you know, because you say, you, you know, you say, Claire, you know, will it get back to normal, maybe? Or is it actually this is the situation where it will constitute, there'll be constant turbulence, you know, and the, 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 the connected world we live in now those factors will just keep coming and therefore maybe that agility, the flexibility, you know, the standardization you talk about, Alistair, maybe that's, that is where, where we're heading because that's what we need to do to, to sort of cope with this. I mean, Derek, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that um, supply chains, as all these things happen, right? We don't know what the next disaster is. I mean, COVID was this big shock and then you have the Ukraine thing, but, but I think the next thing could be right around the corner that none of us see coming, right? And so the supply chain, the supply chains of tomorrow are going to be a lot different than they are today because we've lived in this world of stable lead times, fairly stable prices, those types of things. And those are all kind of out the window. But the thing that I would say is that the supply chains, that's how businesses make money, right? That's what either you make it or you don't based on your supply chain. And companies are going to have to adapt and, they're, and the good ones will and the other ones may not survive. And, and so... Uh, I think what we're going to talk about later is some of those tools to help the next advancement in supply chain technology and stuff. And I think that that's, that's really it because there's just, you can't tell every day today, something new has, has happened in the world that's, that's disrupted supply chains. And I can't, we just have to be ready for the next thing. We can't worry about, oh, we'll just solve this problem because the next thing is better on the corner. Yeah. 
and before we go, I, I mean, I want to move on to that uh, topic, Derek, because I think that whole thing about what do we do differently in, in planning and managing supply chains. But just before we do, there's a question from Ashley Cook. And Ashley's, I think what he's, what he's asking here is about, uh, I suppose, supply chain and procurement um, sort of aligning itself better with, in this case, marketing. So that when we're looking at you know, what our companies do, the focus in terms of the customer, you know, and the organization is, you know, we need to be much more aligned with those rather than maybe fighting them in the past with our, you know, this is our view of how things should be done. And they've got this view of how the range should be in the marketplace and so on. I mean, are we seeing that the crisis that we're in is driving functions to be more aligned and working together and breaking down some of those silos that maybe have existed in the past? Well, I think supply chains, uh, everybody understands now, well, a lot more people know what supply chains are now than they did two years ago, right? So, so everybody's getting more educated. And when you tell somebody that you're out of stuff, you can't get stuff because it's a supply chain issue, now they have to listen as opposed to before, well, that's your problem. You need to go solve this, right? So I think to your point, yes, we need uh, the other functional areas now understand what supply chain is, how it operates, and we need their help. Yeah. I think there have, there have been some you know, great examples where you know, organizations have you know, kind of suddenly had to respond in, and, and do stuff which they you know, take home working. I mean, you know, suddenly, you know, in a flash, organizations which were sort of dithering around home working for years, they suddenly had to do it. And, and, and in, a week, in a matter of weeks, everyone was home working. So it certainly has, I think, shown different ways of working, including perhaps, you know, working more across function when there's an emergency. I think to me, what's really interesting, though, is, is that the recent things have really highlighted that just I don't think organizations understand where their risks are you know who would have known that Ukraine I mean yeah I guess we should have known that but I mean yeah I didn't know that Ukraine provided some like 50 percent of all the Egyptian wheat or all the Egyptian flour um, you know it's these amazing concentrations of supply chain um, sort of linkages which are which are surprising like you know who would have guessed that you know if you were set if you were asked to guess which country provides the most fruit pickers in the UK who would have guessed it's from Ukraine so I, I think it's it, it's perhaps a real challenge to supply chain management to to try and think about all these situations and try and understand where there's dependencies they just don't even they're just not even aware of um, even if they're second and third hand if you're a factory making you know jam in the UK and suddenly you're told sorry we can't provide you the strawberries because no one's picked them you know that's you know it's, it's not your own supply chain it's 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 a dependency of, of your suppliers which you may not understand and I, I do just jumping in Duncan if I may I think that we're seeing a lot of boards and CEOs waking up for the first time since COVID to the value of supply chain, but also to the risk that is sitting in the supply chain. And, and you know, post-COVID, a lot of lead, supply chain leaders we talked to were, were asked, well, during COVID, well, what's my, what's our exposure? And if you're not necessarily using a tool um, like Kinaxis, Rapid Response or others, it's really difficult to get um, immediate access to all of the information across all the different com um, tiers and chains of your organization to even come back with a question. So you kind of have to say, well, you know, sorry, I'm not quite sure, I need to go away and work that out, I'll come back to you. And a lot of them are being asked, um, what are you going to do differently next time? Which is driving this need to, to be able to get your hands on more data, more real time. Can we really afford to wait for things to pass down through the different silos of an organization? Because by the time it comes back round to 
um, the decision, the date is all out of date. So whether it has to be a new way of a new way of thinking and a new way of um, collaborating across all of these different functions in an organization. Yeah, and, 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 so let's move on to that. But just before we do, uh, back, Derek, your comment there about uh, people waking up to supply chain, and with the fact that we've actually got a thing called supply chain talk that we're all a part of today. You know, would that have happened two or three years ago? Probably not. Would any of have tuned in? Probably not. So actually, that in itself is just showing that, that there is this real interest to learn and to understand and to build up the skills because we're, everyone in these in these functions and. As you said, Claire, you know, the, the, the board as well are, are starting to realise they've got to understand this stuff better than they ever did before. So, so let's let's move on to that, that topic because the, the core topic here was about concurrent planning and and whether or not that can really deliver. I mean, we talk about sustainability, but um, I suppose more effective, more efficient, more agile supply chains. Before, we jump, so what is concurrent planning? And maybe Claire, I'll come to you because um, you know. You know, in, in your terminology, with, with, in, within Conaxis, how would you describe this um, this, this phrase, concurrent planning? Um, I would call it. Uh, it's like a imagine it like a nervous system of an enterprise. Um, it's it's about having a, a kind of digital representation of what's happening in the supply chain that's always on, always live. It's always a feasible plan, and it's synchronized across all the different time horizons and business processes across an organization. And what that, I mean, we talk about it giving you lots of agility and therefore lots of resiliency. But what it really means is just all the different parts of the organization that need to collaborate together on the same set of data can see what's happening and can also start to simulate, well, what if something changes or this has just happened? How do I resolve it? What are my options? So that you can start to um, interrogate the, the data of your organization in a way that um, means you can look forward and start um, reacting to reacting to situations or planning to react to situations as opposed to always having a rear view mirror and looking backwards to try and work out what happened and going around to then try and solve whatever problems you have the time left in your day to be able to manage. So it's really about creating, um, well, some people call it a digital twin. We can call it a digital twin if, it's, if that makes it easier to, to talk about. And just, just to enable all of the different functions to communicate together. So, so with that in mind, and, and thank you for that. That was a great explanation. So, with that in mind, I mean, you know, Derek, from your perspective, what, what does that mean to you and Boeing when, when sort of Claire describes it in that way? What are you doing to sort of, I suppose, take that concept and try and apply it in the way that, that you, you know you need to within your business? Yeah, first of all, that's that would be a foreign concept at Boeing. Not that not it, we just we just don't. We're not there yet, right? And I think probably 95% of the world's not, not there yet. So we don't really have this concurrent planning, right? Plus, plus a Boeing supply chain stretches the, the entire world, right? And and trying to, today our planning system is very siloed, just like, just like Claire was saying before, but outside of Boeing and aerospace, because typically aerospace is a laggard industry as far as adopting new technologies, those types of things, as far as like supply chain technologies. But that being said, companies will have to start adopting, in my opinion, companies will have to start adopting this type of methodology because, again, it's the next evolution of supply chain, right? If you turn back the clock 50 years ago, MRP came in and that was the greatest thing and, and it gives you all this planning. Well, this is just the next evolution of supply chain. If you don't have something like this, then either you're working off Excel spreadsheets or you're looking in the rearview mirror, like Claire said, 
and you're not making the proper decisions or you're making decisions that aren't, aren't optimized, like you're spending too much money on expediting or those types of things. And so it's just the next evolution, in my opinion. And, and so, you know, Claire, so you're saying Claire described the ideal situation to get into. You're saying that, you know, Boeing's a bit of a laggard here. Um, but, but I think in general, the sector will take time to adapt. Yeah, so how, how long do you think it would take you to get to that point where you've got that that visibility that Claire's describing and this approach to to really doing this, this concurrent planning in a, in a very different way in the future? Oh, I would say at least five years. Okay. At least. And it's a journey, right? I think it's not yeah. it's not something that you go from one to the other. I think there's there's steps along the yeah. way you can take to help improve that process. I mean, we're not suggesting that SNOP meetings, everyone should be sitting around doing what-if scenarios necessarily in the first year after you start adopting these things. But going back to the question before about sales and marketing and and supply chain, one of the things that you can start to do is you know, the rather than arriving at the SNOP meeting and everyone in the room spending half the while, I hear this often, speaking, fighting, fighting for the first half an hour about who's got the right data. <laughs> you at least start to have the same, you know, a similar view of the data, then the same amount of data. And it, it's about bringing down the walls or making the walls between the silos transparent so that you can, pe people can start trusting one another and making better decisions and not necessarily hoarding or over, over ordering because sales don't trust supply chain and supply chain don't trust sales. And then once you start to build build up that collaboration and trust by having the same view of data and having a more collaborative conversation about, well, what if we do this? Um, it might not be immediate in or real time in the first instance, but you're starting to, because um, it's not just technology, this is about process and people and adopting different ways of working. It takes time to evolve those um, over time. And it's about you know building more trust and building more collaboration across these different um, silos of a company. Right. I mean, I think it was an interesting point, Derek, saying it's kind of the next evolution of you know, supply chain of planning and forecasting and so on. And, and you know, to some extent, if I'm being a bit cynical, I'd say, well, is it is it actually the next evolution or is it something that we've been talking about for decades? We've, you know, Claire, you used the word collaborative and collaboration a huge amount just now. And funny enough, didn't mention the word concurrency. And it does feel to be a little bit, if I'm being cynical, that concurrency isn't really out there as a term when you look on the Internet. You know, apart from Canaxis, it's not really used very frequently. It's a nice term, but it's okay. actually a term. I can explain why, Alistair, because it's a term that Canaxis created because it needs mm. it needs the, the type of technology that Canaxis has mm. as an enabler to do it. Because a lot of the technology, the reason, you know, it's not just the methodologies that were old over time and uh, we were kind of constrained by technology historically because we had all the technology was built in blocks therefore there was legacy between all the different um whether it's demand planning or a supply planning everyone has their own silo their own piece of technology and they're not communicating and Canaxis designed a solution where a bunch of um, supply chain practitioners at Canaxis we've designed everything from the bottom up to solve this problem that is how do we get everyone connected together and it's um where it's being adopted by some of the world's biggest organizations some of the smaller ones as well so i think it's i agree it's not necessarily the future i think it's already here I think there are lots of organizations out there adopting this as a future process that they're they're you know, working the way towards, let's say. Yeah. And, and also, just picking up on Derek's point, though, it, it, it's that's the thing I think 
the, the concept of collaborative working together, not in silos, has, has been around a long time. Part of that is, is visibility of data and sharing data. And absolutely, uh, you know, concurrency as 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 you know, developed as a term by Kinaxis is a very interesting concept and, and, and a great, you know, a very impressive technology and so on. But actually, there's a lot of organisations, you know, like Boeing, like many others, who can take that journey in very different ways. I mean, I you know, worked in businesses 20 years ago, which actually had an extranet available for suppliers to be able to literally view and download sales data directly. Now, that's not absolutely you know, way, way short of what, you know, good MRP and ERP systems and, and let alone what Connexus is doing. But it's still, you know, going on that journey, and and I suppose it's a it is a, a blend of, as it always is, people, process, and technology, and 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 the Connexus technology is one example of that. But there's a lot of other ways to start that journey, I guess. I, I, but just picking up that point about I mean, people, process, and technology, there, uh, Alistair, because there's a question here about uh, another one from from Ash. I love it when Ashworth joins us in Supply Chain Talk. He just peppers us with comments and questions all the time. Mm -hmm. but, but one of the ones that he's got in there is around skills, uh, because Claire, you're you're talking about you know enabling uh, people to be able to work together uh, and to try and sort of get that going through from a technology perspective, um, but actually. There is a change mindset here, isn't there? There's skills, there's ways of working differently, there's ways people thinking differently. And maybe <clears throat> back to your comment of people not fighting about whose set of data is right, but actually accepting that there is, you know, one person who's actually, or one area which has got the data right. So, so Eshwa's comment, I think, is about that skills. Because, you know, what about the people side here? How do, how do people need to change to be able to adopt and collaborate in the way that, that all of you are describing here? I think the change is going to be easier for some rather than others. And a lot of organizations we talk to are struggling to find good, uh, good young talent coming through. And I think the skill sets for um, the skill sets that are being brought by the next generation of planners and supply chain professionals are not necessarily the same as the ones they were at the end of their careers. And there's a lot of um, so there's kind of two things to manage, I suppose. There's the adoption of the solution and the, the intelligence of how everything functions with the people who are in the last 10 years of their career. And then the how do we pass that to the next generation um, before they leave? So there's those the, I guess there's those those two things we need to think about. Um, but I I always I always go when we, someone anyone talks to me about people I go back to an example we had from PNG and they talk about how using these types of digital tools have enabled them to create more meaningful roles and more meaningful jobs for their employees, which enables them to retain talent. And they become more engaged employees in in helping the company create innovative ways to solve problems, as opposed to spending all of their days hammering through the data, trying to find what's gone on and what's what's wrong. And I think it, there is a painful transition, and there's some there's a lot of communication and change management to manage to help people understand what it's going to mean for their job. But in general, we see that um, employees become more engaged and more. Um, because they become more aware of how their how their decisions are impacting the bottom line of their um, organization and their carbon footprint if they're also checking on that uh, Derek, so I certainly agree there Claire that, that the number of organizations I've you know, worked with or been in and and you know just the amount of time wasted on extracting data and shoving it into spreadsheets and re-manipulating it and then loading it back or giving it to someone else I mean all that totally non-value added processing is 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 hugely sort of negative to 
you know, in a way, job satisfaction and 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 real value add. So, so I agree entirely that uh, that the ability to get everyone working off the same, well, basically the same data flowing through, you know, a common system is is fantastically powerful. And um, uh, I think one of the challenges is when you have this very sort of shared live environment is what do people react to because kind of you know how do you control you don't want to kind of split people into silos but if one department says okay we now need to think about you know adjusting this forecast because this is happening well at what point do they signal yeah we've done our adjustments and now everyone else can have a look at it and and, and do their bit if they need to the risk is if if there's not some sort of way of controlling that process people can be sort of reacting to uh to, to any changes, not realizing that it's sort of work in progress. I don't know how how, how that gets handled in in your systems. Yeah, that's the process bit. <laughs> that's the process bit. That's the right. and, yeah, Derek, I saw you nodding there when, when Claire was talking about the change to people's roles, yeah, uh, and therefore sort of attracting and retaining. I mean, do you see? Yeah, that? I think actually, I think it's the strengths. I mean, there's there's soft skills and there's there's the hard technical skills, right? The soft skills that Claire was talking about. Really, with the next generation of workers, guys my age, this this whole collaboration thing and, and uh, that type of stuff is kind of old school. The newer generations want to do the collaboration; they want to see how they can impact the organization. Those types of things, and this actually plays into their strength. I think, as far as is what they're interested in, right? Because they're not interested in coming to work and, and working in these silos. They want to, they're they're a very collaborative bunch, right? And they want this plays into their strength. And I think, as far as technical skills. Uh, you really have to have a solid understanding of the end-to-end -end supply chain, right? You can't just worry about, oh, I just, I'm just purchasing or I'm just logistics or I'm just operations. You really have to understand how the whole thing works to start making these good decisions. And I, 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 I mean, linked to, I suppose, the reason for making the change. And you know, when, we, when we kicked off the discussion here, we were talking about, you know, is it is it efficiency? Is it transparency? Is it sustainability? I mean, it, it seems like you know, I think Claire, you described it as the perfect storm. There seems to be all these things are all these factors are now driving us towards having to do this differently. But actually, the business now seems to be behind doing it differently, rather than I think I want to use the comment a bit earlier, just throwing it. You say, "Oh, just sort it out for me, will you?" You know, it it, it does feel as if we, there's an environment here for bringing that collaboration because there's a real business need for it being done differently i mean is that is that is that what you're seeing yeah i think from the ceo down i think you know they're they've they're um every organization has different has different objectives but all of those different things are putting pressure on so many different parts of the business and all roads lead to supply chain in some in some respects and it's it's been left out of the digital transformation that you've seen in sales and in marketing, in, in some of the other parts of the business that have maybe had more investment. And we're, we're seeing for the first time, a significant number of CFOs really starting to get involved in, in the conversation about supply chain in, in a lot more detail than maybe they've, they've previously done because it's, you know, it's, I think supply chain's having its moment in the sun. Yeah. Long, may, long may it remain the case. Yeah, I'm not sure it's the sun at the moment, but no. <laughs> no, we talked about climate change. Maybe that's yeah. Yeah. Um, but 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 uh, but back to your point though. That then means that the sort of investments that people will need to make in the supply chain to make the changes, the sort of you know, because you can't 
some of the things you're talking about doing to, to move it forward needs investments in it, investments in technology, investments in people, investments in some of the tools that are needed to get that visibility. Now's a good time to make that business case for change because in the past, you might have put it forward, but you know the marketing guy's got the budget or mm. IT guy's got the budget or there's a big sort of you know, d- different change coming through. Maybe now is that opportunity to get those the, the budgets that people need to drive some of these changes forward. I think I think I think now is never there's never been a better time. Yeah. yeah. So we're all totally agreed on that. So that's great. Um, so <laughs> so um, th- th- there's also uh, and I don't, th- Ashley Cook's coming with a specific question, which I'm going to throw at you because I read it and thought, oh, I'm not so sure. Um, I think what 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 Ashley is asking here is if we're going to move to this more collaborative approach, a more information flow. Should we have an open forum in setting the standards or the protocols for the various platforms to utilize the hardware and therefore allow operating licensees to be able to use the dovetail the software, the data flows? You know, I suppose what he's saying is if we want this collaborative approach and we want this information to be available, do there need to be standards so that everyone starts to do it in the same way? to make it easier to collaborate and pull all this information together from the whole supply chain? I think that's what he's asking. And he'll probably put up another comment and say that's not what he's asking, but that's what I'm going to interpret it as anyway. <laughs> What's your thought? Is, is, is there this need to sort of standardise a lot more and have these more standard protocols that everyone in, operates to? In, inside, inside one organisation, yes, I think people use it as a... As a Organisations are using it as a way to... To standardize there's been a lot of decentralization or lots of different areas being able to do their own thing and that's created more and more issues in, in a lack of ability to do things and we are seeing even across even across different if they have in big companies that manage multiple industries they are still trying to standardize as much as possible some some of the end-to-end processes and i would also suggest not to forget um standardizing the kpis and making sure the kpis that you're monitoring and, and managing your success by are also end-to-end because if your kpis remain f- functionally based then you're going to be driving functional behavior whether you want to or not so yeah there's a certainly it does lead to more standardization but, but you're saying within a, an organization but not necessarily down across the supply chain um i don't know i mean alistair because that that's the more challenging <laughs> area is when you start to get down through the tier two tier three down through the supply chains yeah i mean it's it's a great question and, and it's a wonderful vision but i mean i think yeah when you think about it i mean that's again it's something that's been talked about i suppose as a concept for for decades of you know sharing data and i guess you know way way back you know edi was being developed and you know, data standards to be able to transfer data in a consistent way. But as, as we all know, you know, interfaces are kind of always the biggest challenge in any sort of, you know, in my in my experience, in any sort of transformation project, just, you know, at the moment working with, with companies trying to, develop, you know, select a third-party logistics company with just the biggest question and the biggest lead time in that is is the interface. And, and you know, the third party's got their standard warehouse management system, the client's got their standard ERP, but goodness, making the two talk to each other, it's a six-month project, even, even on something as well-defined as that. So I think, um, yeah, having a totally common data standard, I'd be wonderful to have it. I'd, I'm not sure, you know, how, if that's ever going to happen across organisations, and that's why middleware and all sorts of things like that exist, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Because I'm sure, Derek, across Boeing, you've got a total standard that everyone, all your divisions follow all over the globe, I'm sure. Uh, no. I mean, we have three, three distinct business areas, right? And they sometimes they don't necessarily talk to each other. And then it's, uh, you know, BCA commercial has their own standards. The BDS, the defense side, has their own standards. And the BGS, the global services, really has their own standards. And, and trying to work across the aisles or the lines, uh, you're not talking the same thing. Hmm. But I think back to Alistair's point about a standard language. Uh, to be completely honest with you, this this concept, why the AI stuff and helping making better decisions and the collaboration is is relatively new. Uh, this is really until I did the reading on it today. Um, I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. But they have a standard language. <laughs> that's that's down the road. I mean, we we have, I don't think supply chain professionals even got their arms around this thing yet. But well, we, we can't even agree on what our job titles are, can we? I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. is it, you know, I'm working in SIPs, you know, we are the Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply, but some people call us purchasing, some people call it commercial, you know, it's like, even we can't agree on <laughs> um, what we call our profession, never mind sort of uh, getting the standards down through the supply chains. And, but, I, and I'm not sure it's always a technology problem. I think, you know, I've been, I've, I've, most of the, most of the time I've been I've worked in public sector in software. I've worked across many different industries and technology, trying to connect people's data to get a single view of something, whether it was a single view of a, uh, a patient in a, in a hospital or whether it was a single view of a criminal for the police or, or now a single view of the supply chain, I suppose. But it was it's about it's often about who owns the data. So if you're a, a company that's buying products from a big a big supplier who's much bigger than you, then you have not as much power and authority or influence to convince them to do things your way um, than they have over you to do it your way. So it it, it because it's a really complicated thing to manage. So it's yeah, I think we we're always going to have mar marginal gains in the right direction, but I'm not sure I'm not sure it's a it's a an endpoint we're ever going to reach. No, but at least. It's, uh, back to the comment, you know, it's been talked about, it's been recognised that we need to get there. I suppose the, the issue is uh, how fast, you know, because the, the challenge, you know, you, you talk about, you know, uh, supply chain it, it now has been talked about, but people in supply chains need to now get on and make those changes, though, don't they? Because now is the time to embrace the technology, embrace the new ways of working, drive some of these changes through your business. and. You're right, in the time we've had, we haven't really talked about sustainability, but I know in other topics, that in itself will drive the supply chains to operate in a different way. Yeah, and that's 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 we've been uh, it's been it's, it's a discussion that's been going on for a while. How do you even how do you that at least I think we will find the standard to kind of a standard approach to how do you count carbon inside every organization in the same way so we can at least start to compare and understand um, that we're making um, the right moves in the right direction. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, so I think uh, there's a few more comments coming in. But, but if, you, if you're looking at this whole approach to um, concurrent planning, and, and if, I suppose if, you, if you're going to leave the audience with one thought of what they should do differently and focus on, what would that be? So what would be the thing that you'd say, that's, that's, what, that's what you need to do to really try and embrace the, the changes that's coming here? I mean, Alistair, I'll start with you. And then I'll give you a little time to think about it. To, to me, I think that the, if I'm advising an organization, it's just understand what your current process is. Try and understand, you know, who's 
you know, who's working on which systems, which spreadsheets, which handoffs, just to be able to see what are kind of probably in most organizations, what are inefficient, you know, step-by-step sort of non-value-added overall process it is, then you can kind of work out where do you want to focus your efforts to improve. Thank you. Derek? Yeah, I think that uh, the one takeaway I would say for, uh, for the audience would be to, again, this is the next thing in supply chain. It's the next evolution. Uh, Alistair put it much better than I did. The, the collaboration part and all that stuff's been, been around, but the, the tools are now being developed to help us make better decisions. And again, supply chain doesn't change the way supply chain, it's gonna change the way supply chains work, but the basic principles of supply chain remain the same. And so to become more efficient, uh, to reduce cost, to increase speed, all those things, but nothing changes, but this is just a new set of tools to help us make those better decisions. And Claire, apart from advising to talk to you at Connexus, <laughs> what, what, what else would you advise? <laughs> I would say come and well join shows like this and talk to peers. I think you know there's there's, there's lots of people who are on um, so many different parts of the same journey that that you're either on already or thinking about starting. Um, don't let the 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 size or the the scariness of the journey kind of put you off. You can take bite sized um, or small steps to to get you there that add value to your organisation and then increase the momentum of change that. Um, um, that you can take. And there's lots of people out there like Alistair and others and, and experience of people like Derek in other organizations that are willing to share what they've done. There's lots of content already out there, um, but lots more we can uh, that, 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 that are willing to share um, their experiences. Because as much as we're a technology company, it's not the hard bit. The hard bit is the change management and the, the transformation of the internal organization and the ways of working that um, is always going to be much harder. And requires you know may require quite outside help and some planning yeah it's really good thank you and, and i think the other thing i'd add which has come through this is, is is you've got to start to ask those questions now in your organization you know take that leadership bit because i think that's where a lot of supply chain people generally have, have sort of sat back and you know, had things done to them but actually now's a great opportunity to step forward and actually take some of these things and you're right it is a long-term thing but there are things you can get on with now and also plan for your next budget round to actually go and ask for the investments that you need for the future because you know it's essential that these changes are made so it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting time for us all um so um Alistair, Derek, Claire, I really appreciate you, 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 the discussion today. It's been great. It's flowed really smoothly. There's been lots of great thoughts and comments, um, lots of good inputs as well from um, from the audience. Um, so I'd really like to sort of thank them and uh, particularly Ashley and um, uh, Peshwar. I think you great sort of inputs as usual from, from Meshwar and Ashley because, as usual, they had lots of comments and thoughts. I think this time, Meshwar, I probably should give you the mug. Uh, I think you have one already from a previous one, but let's hope... Uh, you can have a two now to actually look at put on your mantelpiece together but um but you know, really good appreciate both of your inputs and your comments and your thoughts there because uh, that really helped us um so that's probably a sort of wrap up for us in in this this uh, episode of supply chain talk uh next week we're looking at how blockchain transforms procurement and supply chain uh, so it's going to be really interesting to sort of bring to life blockchain and the approaches and what we do within that um so uh, you know Alistair, Claire, Derek, really appreciate your time. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching today. I hope you enjoyed it. I look forward to uh, seeing you again on another Supply Chain Talk episode. Thank you. <laughs>